This episode of the Paddock Pass Podcast is brought to you by Fly Racing. Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass Podcast presented by Fly Racing. On today's show, we're going to preview the Italian Grand Prix at Mugello, and we've also got an interview with HRC rider Paula Spagaro. Steve English, David Emmett, Neil Morrison and Adam Wheeler on the show today. And I tell you what, it's actually quite interesting. Neil, you've actually had a very rare experience for everyone during COVID times. You've had a holiday. A holiday, Steve. Can you believe it? Yeah. First holiday in, I don't know how many months. Long time anyway. Um, things have opened up a little bit in Spain. Uh, people are allowed to now travel within the country without any need for PCR tests. Um, so yes, went to lovely Asturias in the north of Spain, a place I'd recommend anyone to go visit. Oviedo really is a bit of a... Uh, yeah, an unhidden jewel in uh, the north of Spain. Really lovely little city and a beautiful coastline. Fantastic food, uh, cheap booze. Yeah, takes all the boxes, really. Neil is a lot luckier than I am because, uh, uh, you know, I can go on holiday in Holland, but uh, the certainly the scenery options are a little bit more limited, shall we say. Uh, very few mountain ranges here, the, apart from the one which I live next to, obviously. Uh, but um, Asturias is just stunning. It's a beautiful part of Spain. I really, really miss... Uh, not being able to go on holiday there because you know we, we go to Spain a lot, but um, uh, the place we've been we've been to quite a lot. And I would love to go back to the Picos de Europa and uh, Asturias and that whole section of the coast is just beautiful. Uh, and on to um, uh, Vigo and uh, Galicia because I've never been there either. Yeah, I have to say, it's very hard to beat the Basque country whenever you get the chance to get away in holidays. I'm quite looking forward to World Superbikes being up in that kind of region for the Navarra round. I think that's going to be quite cool. But uh, David, you've actually been able to, not have a holiday, but you've at least been able to get out of quarantine for uh, the last few days. Uh, yes, I have been able to get out of quarantine. Well, or, or I would have been able to get out of quarantine if I had wanted to go and stand in the pouring rain for uh, for 12 hours because it's done nothing but rain until literally about half an hour ago. So um, uh, it's been the quarantine was no longer imposed by the government, but uh, by the uh, climate. Uh, the weather gods will always end up catching you out. But uh, Adam, you've actually had what a double bank holiday, really. Yeah, it's been the, the second Easter, as they call it here, Steve, and I've been spending quality time with my laptop uh, because the next magazine's due um, as we're recording this. So, yes, plenty of processed food, quick drinks, lots of bottles of water, you know, all the fineries that Neil's been enjoying, um, you know, of a similar level, really. I was thinking about you with every, every bite that I had, Adam, of uh, delicious uh, Galician stew up north. As ever, Neil, your friendship just knows no limits. Uh, so yeah, yeah, hectic weekend. Um, it's the sort of that time of the month, but, um, yeah, we're looking forward to wrapping the magazine and heading into some more racing. Uh, of course, you know, the, the motocross scene starts to crank up as well. And I cover that series, MXGP and the American, uh, national championship, 12 rounds there. They're almost back to normal in the States, actually. Um, they're not quite sure yet which state will have, uh, or which circuit we'll be able to open fully to fans uh, as in 2019 but it's looking in, in pretty good shape it has to has to be said yeah i mean i've heard a few things from people in the us that it looks like there is a 
fairly good chance uh, that COTA might actually happen. We seem to, I mean, the US seems to be opening up. Obviously, a lot of the population have already been vaccinated, which is making a huge, huge difference. Um, and uh, yeah, Texas seems to be doing quite well. And then, you know, we got a complicated situation at the end of the year with the uh, with the calendar. You know, if Japan doesn't happen, if Australia doesn't happen, if Malaysia doesn't happen, um, then that would open up a big hole in the in the calendar, and it would be a perfect uh, time to insert um, the uh, race in Texas because that race has only been postponed and not cancelled. Well, of course, the the calendar is quite topical at the moment with you know this new regulation now for British entrance to Germany and Saxon Ring being only a few kind of weeks away. Uh, you know, it does throw more kind of instability, I guess, into the MotoGP schedule. Um, I'm just wondering how that's going to work out. I mean, on the flip side, it shows you how kind of crazy and things are, you know, in Catalonia, as Neil mentioned, in, in this particular region of Spain anyway, things are pretty much back to normal. And I think we'll see some uh, bigger paddock presence for the Grand Prix, uh, some guests as well, VIP Village. Um, and then you, you consider a place like Saxon Ring and it's, it's, it's completely the reverse. Um, I think, you know, other countries are tightening down. It's um, international movements is becoming very, very tricky. Yeah, but I mean, it, it was always going to be like that where um, different countries are progressing at different uh, speeds. Uh, obviously, we're going to have fans at Aston, but, uh, you know, I think 11,500 um, spread out over the grandstands. Um, uh, the, the the problem with for the UK is because of this uh, Indian variant. Uh, and that adds, I mean, that makes creates an extra problem for the British people because they... Also, since Brexit, um, uh, UK citizens are only allowed to spend 90 days out of 180 uh, in the EU. And so normally it wouldn't be a problem. They would just stay on after um, after Catalonia and uh, stay on in Europe for, a, uh, for another week. But um, uh, it's possible that uh, Andorra is going to be full of uh, uh, Brits who are um, leaving the EU temporarily. Um, to avoid spending too much time in the EU because there's a similar problem also with uh, Austria. Austria is also banning all flights directly from the uh, from the EU, although even though the Red Bull ring isn't until August and things ch change so very quickly uh, at the moment anyway, so who knows what will happen by then. That's why there's, for me, there's still too many question marks because MotoGP's already cancelled the finish round at Kimi Ring. But for MXGP, uh, where, you know, the, the circuit's going to be in the same facility as the road racing complex, that's still on. And considering that it is an August date instead of July, it's a month later than the MotoGP, that hasn't been called off. And you would think, you know, what happens to Motegi when, you know, the Japanese are intent on going ahead with the Olympic Games? Um, you know, there must be some kind of organizational protocol or process in there to to allow, if not spectators, then certainly elite sporting competitions. Um so it's, uh, it's it's confusing. I mean, again, we probably said it a million times on this podcast, but I wouldn't want to be a sports promoter. Well, in fairness, it's the IOC that seems hell-bent on the Olympics going ahead rather than the Japanese. Japanese government's just invested way too much money and they're in way too deep at this stage. So they're trying to see if it's possible, but the Japanese are certainly not looking for it to happen anymore. Yeah, I saw a headline sort of fly by, so uh, I might be slightly incorrect, but there was um, something about the US uh, recommending 
that their citizens not travel to uh, uh, Japan at the moment. So that would make the that would make it very very complicated to actually go to uh, for the uh, or for US athletes to go to Japan for the Olympics. I don't know, Dave. I'm recommended not to eat certain things, and sometimes I still do it. So I wouldn't put too much stock in that. But I would put a lot of stock in what's going to happen in MotoGP this weekend. Obviously, we've got Mugello. It's always one of the traditional classic races on the calendar. But uh, we've actually got quite a bit of news in the lead up to it as well. just want to ask, uh, Ad, like for you, what do you think is the biggest story going into the Italian Grand Prix? Um, well, of course, Steve, you know, Michelle's back. I uh, missed the calendar last year uh, without the public, which is going to be a, a quite an eerie sight. I mean, there's there's not too many circuits on the calendar with the kind of atmosphere that comes uh, with the Italian Grand Prix. Uh, but then, of course, Ducati, you know, have won the Grand Prix for the last three editions, 2019, 18, 17. And, you know, it looks very much like they're going to be favourites to continue that streak and with Jack Miller confirming another year as part of the Ducati cause or Lenovo or Lenovo how do you say that name um you know as part of the factory team for another year uh it's all looking rather settled and rosy and actually I mean I mentioned a minute ago that I was closing the the last edition of um of the magazine and Neil's done a fantastic blog if people are listening they want to check it out on how Ducati have kind of done a u-turn from uh, being very, uh, being a, a quite a volatile setup, uh, prone to change and indecision, to one that's actually investing their energies in the right people in the right places to make a difference. And you know Miller's situation. I don't know what you guys think, but it really does show how things turn around quickly in sport. Uh, you would say after the first the first three rounds that Miller's seat arguably was in the balance, and of course we we don't really know how far discussions began uh, regarding 2022 for Jack. I mean, it might have started right after his impressive performances in the Qatar Test, uh, but you know you would have thought the management would have waited a little bit to make a judgment. But after the two victories in Le Mans and Spain, they've already put uh, pen to paper with him, so it's not a surprise, um, and it would have been. You know, uh, I would say a, a prudent move considering that Miller is the most experienced rider on the Desmos Adichie in, in their current stable. So, uh, you know, I, let's uh, see if Miller keeps his, his momentum going. Yeah, I think it's one of those things. It would have been a massive shock if they hadn't kept Jack, regardless of what's happened the last few races with Jack actually getting to, to the top step. It's so difficult for teams to just cut ties after only a handful of races with a rider that they already know how good he can be so really the contract initially like you get to a certain certain date where you know you just have to trigger a clause or you have to then just get the next contract signed up so a lot of the times it might be where you're on a one-year deal but it's pretty much guaranteed you're going to get the second year unless you go into the team and fall out with absolutely everyone I think there are sort of different kinds of one plus one deals because there's a you know one plus one is, is quite common um one plus one is either on a prove it basis or it's on a um uh, it's on a so sort of, you know more of a conditional basis for of you know we want to give you a chance um uh, uh, uh well if you like there is one plus one where uh, you have to earn the second one and there's a one plus one which is the second one is more or less a given and uh, the, the 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 plus one is more of a get out clause um in this case um certainly for Jack Miller it was 
fairly, it was very much a one plus one in the sense of uh, he had, the the second one was pretty much a given unless he'd done something terribly wrong. Uh, Jean Zarco is also on a one plus one deal. Um, and I think, you know, it looks fairly certain that he's on, he's done enough to keep his place. Uh, the Red Bull uh, people also, both uh, um, Miguel Oliveira and uh, Brad Binder, they're both on one plus one as well. Um, I think they're currently in the middle of talks over their future. So uh, that presumably will be wrapped up fairly soon. I mean, we're pretty much in the middle of uh, contract season. In my little spreadsheet, I have all I have four factory uh, or four factories which are fill, filled up, which are. Uh, the Monster Energy, Yamaha, Repsol, Honda, uh, uh, Ducati, Lenovo, and Suzuki X-Star. Um, and, uh, of course, um, uh, Aprilia, um, Alessia Spargaro. And the rest is, uh, a lot A lot of the rest is actually open. Franco Morbidelli is, I think, signed up for, uh, for next year, or at least he said, you know, he's pretty much sorted with Petronas for next year and um, uh, should have a factory bike. Uh, but there's, you know, a fair numbers of, of things which are... Also, the, uh, both LCRs are, are spoken are spoken for as well. But uh, apart from that, there's still a few question marks. Yeah, I think it's... Um, if you look at history, the last couple of years, Ducati have tended to make a decision around the Italian Grand Prix. Um, and I think on both of the occasions in the past, well, 18 and 19... Um, at the time of making the decision, you thought, yeah, that makes sense. And um, I can see why you've come to that decision. But uh, maybe in the long term, it didn't end up working out so well. Um, you think back to Lorenzo um, in the lead up to the Italian Grand Prix in 2018. I know that wasn't uh, their final decision, but essentially Claudio, Claudio Domenicali made some comments which um, made Lorenzo's position there untenable. Um, and then, you know, Petrucci winning the Italian Grand Prix in 2019 basically gave him the seat for 2020, but it seemed that by the end of 2019, Ducati had already made up their mind that uh, he wasn't good enough. Um, so, again, this is... Uh, I think it's a decision rooted in common sense. You know, Miller, I think, has proved um, sufficient speed this year. He's proved su su uh, sufficient character in how he's bounced back from a tough start of the year. And they know him and it wouldn't make sense to just have him in for, for one year. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think uh, history should um, shine a little kinder on this decision than it has done on Ducati's previous ones that they've made around this time of the year. Obviously enough, David, as well. It wasn't just Jack Miller that was in the news this week. We also had some test rider news as well. <laughs> yeah, some test rider. Um, uh, Andrea Dovicioso, I mean, it was on the cards, really, because uh, Dovicioso was signed up to do a test at Mugello. Um, it rained for both days of the test. Um, I think they, were, they had sort of, you know a morning of half and half conditions so it was a complete waste of a test and so uh Dovichos has now signed up for um further testing duties for the basically for the rest of the year and i think it's pretty much almost a pre-contract for 2022 i su uh, i suspect um it seems to make a lot of uh, i mean it, it makes a lot of sense to have but uh, for both parties Dovichos an experienced proven rider um so they can see how good he is and how good um uh, uh, 
you know, to have a strong rider next to Alicia Spargaro uh, for the first time since Andrea Iannone, really. Um, and also, you know, it makes sense for uh, for Dovicioso because it's the only competitive ride he's going to get. And the uh, Aprilia really, really looks like it's much more competitive this year. You know, it's um, it, it's now sort of, you know, nearly there rather than having some really glaring defects, which it had in the past. Yeah, and I thought one of the most interesting things I saw during the course of the week was actually just a tweet from Matt Oxley where he was talking about how typically riders or people within the paddock, they don't miss an opportunity to jump on a bike that could potentially make a massive step forward. And last year, a lot of riders missed out on the opportunity to be on the Aprilia. And Oxley was talking about how it was a surprise for him that this happened. But it's easy for that to happen as well, isn't it? Because on the basis of everything we'd seen from Aprilia, it was hard to really buy into any of the, the talk of it actually being a big promising new bike, lots of progress being made. Yeah, changing their engines really to change their fortunes, isn't it? Um, and, you know, I think, again, Dave was writing, I don't want to make another plug, but he was writing a, a, another very informed blog for the magazine this month about Aprilia and the way that, uh, you know, they're now perhaps fielding calls where whereas you know less than 12 months ago the phone was uh, very on you know was silent there was nobody really interested in taking that ride but you know, what what bothers me about the Dovizioso deal is you know I mean he must be 36 years old now maybe he'll be 37 uh where he'll be you know another year on if he starts the 2022 season as a factory rider for Aprilia I mean isn't that I, I appreciate the fact you want to tap into his his experience um, and his knowledge of, you know, a factory Honda and a factory Ducati, but would they not be better served by investing in a young rider, say like a Marco Bezzecchi or or elevating a Bastianini, you know, if, if one of those rookies gets squeezed out somehow from the Ducati shuffle with VR46 or, or whatever happens? I mean, would you not rather have a bit of a, a young gun on there um, rather than Davizioso? I mean, Espargaro's already committed, so there's no point talking about him, but... Um, I do question Davizioso's uh, motivations there. Uh, you've made this point yourself several times, Adam, and I hate to throw your words back at you, but you do keep on saying it, saying we don't know how good Alasius Bargaro is. Maybe Alasius Bargaro is the problem. And how are you going to know whether Alasius Bargaro is the problem if you put a rookie on the bike? You have to put a proven talent. I mean, we know that Andrea Dovizioso is quite good because he very, very nearly won the um, uh, won the MotoGP championship. He was the only person who got close to beating Mark Marquez. Uh, he was second to him a couple of years in a row. Um, he's a proven quantity. We know what he is. And so by putting him on the bike, you get a real sense of what the what the bike is actually worth, whether it's any good. Um, so, yeah. And while I, I agree with your, with your general quantity, but hopefully that I, I think is why... Uh, from what I understand, there's been some sort of tension inside of Prilly between uh, Albaciano and and Rivola because Albaciano would really like to have you know four bikes. Um, having four bikes on the grid would be just fantastic for them because then they would have uh, sort of real data and also a place to put a rookie uh, or a young rider um, and to let them uh, to let them develop to you know to to, to get them into MotoGP and and have a path forward. Um, uh, but of course, that requires a lot more resources and a lot more of a financial investment, and that's that, that, that's a a question of how practical it, it could be, and uh, you know, and how well they could pull something like that off. So, uh, yeah. But I mean, the reason the reason you choose Dovicioso is so you can really so you can find out how good uh, Alessio Spargaro is. 
I mean, it depends on how the Piaggio group, which, you know, let's not forget as enormous, can pull their resources around one particular brand, which is Aprilia. But, you know, let's not also forget the Aprilia in the, the very remarkable situation of having two factory riders, neither of which have won a Grand Prix. Uh, you know, it's as a, a, a bizarre scenario. And I agree with you, Dave, you know, you know, Alessia Spargaro has to be measured against arguably a superior teammate, which he really hasn't had a great deal of in his career. A couple of years at Suzuki, of course. And like you say, Ian Oni was the nearest uh, rider to him. I mean, Bradley Smith as well was test riding, but on a very different job remit, you could say, to Alesh. But uh, I think, you know, if you take a handful, I mean, if you look at Bestanini, you know, an ex-world champion, Luca Marini, uh, you know, these guys, Jorge Martin, who, who already is contracted to Ducati, I know. Uh, these guys have Grand Prix winning experience, um, you know, which is already an edge over Alesh, even though he has many years in the class. So I, I just think, you know, do you go for a one rider who has the the continuity with the team and the brand and the motorcycle? And you throw in an old dog like Davizioso hoping for what? Uh, just to, to refine the motorcycle further? Or do you like gamble on a young guy that you can maybe sign for another one plus one if he shows that the motorcycle has real potential? So it's uh, there are pros and cons to each way, I guess. Uh, all the contracts are up at the end of 2022. So, um, you know, if you can put uh, David Chosha on the bike in 2022, uh, at, then you've got a really good chance of showing how good the bike is. And then... Who knows who you can tempt to take a punt on the uh, on the bike uh, to you know to to give it a go, give it a go. Okay, Davide Emmett, you're in charge of Aprilia. Do you sign Andrea De Vizioso or do you sign Marco Bezzecchi for next year? For next year, I sign Dovizioso. No, no question, no question. Is that because Bezzecchi wouldn't be on the market for you because he'd be gone to VR46? <laughs> well, apart from that, apart from that, no. But yeah, but I mean, the, the other thing that I would do is try to persuade Grassini to take um, uh, to take Aprilia's and uh, put Bastianini on the bike because you know then Bezecchi can go up to the VR46 squad because you know he's not a VR46 rider and you know he's not part of the cult and so he doesn't get to um, uh, he, he has to make way for someone who came through the academy he has to make way for uh, for a an academy rider. Uh, so yeah, I, uh, I, I, I think there's going to be enough talent available. Yeah. Did you, of course, as well, already signed up for Grassini with the promise apparently of a MotoGP bike. So potentially there's something for it, but obviously, um, there's a lot of action on track this week as well. Dave, just for you, what do you think is the big story going into Mugello? I mean, it's, uh, Honestly, I think the, the the way that the championship is at the moment is a really good reflection of um, the strengths and weaknesses of the of the various brands at uh, Mugello. Uh, I looked at the last five races there, and of the fifteen podiums, um, uh, basically. Uh, Ducati have had eight podiums there and Yamaha have had five podiums there. Uh, uh, Honda, amazingly, have only had two podiums, which is quite a surprise, really. Um, it, it's, you know, Lorenzo has won tri uh, well, uh, Lorenzo has won three times, twice on a Yamaha and once on a Ducati. And David Cioso and Petrucci have won on, um, uh, uh, have won, uh, have won on Ducatis as well. And, and David Cioso was on the podium, uh, basically three years in a row. You know, that there, that there hasn't been a Ducati on the, uh, or there has been a Ducati on the podium every year, uh, for the past five years. So that's a, a sign of how strong the Ducati is, um, but there's also been a Yamaha on the uh, uh, on the podium uh, every year as well. 
Uh, oh no, I tell a lie. Except for 2019, when uh, Mark when Mark got on there. Um, so basically, from 2015 to 2018. So it it's really because there are two ways of going fast around you uh, uh, around Mugello. You um, you can use the top speed. Uh, you know they'll be hitting 360 again over the crest and terrifying themselves mostly and probably other people. Um, and uh, but it also flows. It's a really sweeping circuit. It's a, just a fantastic circuit. It's a circuit where you can make up a lot of ground in long corners. Um, and that, I think, is that really plays into the strengths of the Yamaha. Um, also, the Suzuki. We've seen the Suzuki's come uh, get close to the podium a few times. Um, uh, Alex Rins last time, obviously, uh, in 2019. Um, it, it's, uh, it's an interesting track. Um, and I think we're going to see Fabio Quartararo, uh, Pekka Banyaya, uh, Jack Miller, Joan Zarco, um, uh, Maverick Vinales. This is a, exactly the sort of track where Vinales could do really, really well, uh, uh, given the circumstances, if the circumstances are right. So, yeah, I, I think this is going to be uh, Yamaha versus uh, versus Ducati with um, uh, with a, a smidgen of, um, of Suzuki sort of uh, thrown in to, to spice things up. Uh, Neil, David mentioned there about how there's lots of different ways to go fast at Mugello. One of them being obviously to carry prodigious corner speed. I've still never met anyone that was faster through Arabiata one than you on GP five hundred, though. <laughs> yes, exactly. St- still think I hold the all time lap record. To be honest, not not so fast on the the most recent MotoGP game, I'm afraid. Um, but yeah, no, I agree with Dave. I think it, it's um, it's it's all set up to be a pretty spicy weekend. Um, yeah, looking back through the history, Ducati have obviously got an awesome recent record, but even though Yamaha had some real tough years in 17, 18, you know, they still had Vinales on the podium there in 17, Rossi on the podium there in 18. Um, so you have to think that now that this bike is working very, very well in dry conditions, that uh, the Vinales should be up there. Um, you know, Quadraro, I'm, I'm quite intrigued to see because it's not always been the, the happiest hunting ground for him. You know, he was 10th the last time we went to Mugello in um, in 2019 with the MotoGP bike. Um, but that was obviously a race weekend, which was causing him um, quite a serious amount of, uh, of arm pump. Um, but, you know, right the way th- down... The, uh, the junior classes in Model 2, he never had a, a particularly good time there. So um, I think it's it's set up to be, yeah, um, Vinales, throw in a couple of Ducatis, and I think the Suzuki should be should be poised to go well there as well because, um, yeah, you just have to look back at that 2019 race to see uh, just how brilliant um, and how sharply that bike was turning um, in the corners against the, uh, the Hondas and the Ducatis. So, I mean, yeah, it should be basically a, a battle between three brands. And you mentioned about Fabio having uh, arm pump in 2019. Obviously, he had uh, um, a surgery, I think, the week after or straight after. When we were talking about arm pump earlier in the year uh, and asking riders about it, they said that basically there were three circuits where it was really bad. Uh, and that was um, uh, Jerez, Mugello and Aston, all because they have lots and lots of really long corners with um, uh, where you are braking at a, uh, at an angle, leaned over you all the way on your um, uh, on your forearms. Um, so I think that's going to be a real issue. Obviously, uh, Alicia Spargro has had uh, arm pump surgery. Uh, Fabio Quattararo uh, had arm pump surgery before... Um, uh, uh, before Le Mans. Uh, so, yeah, everyone should be in decent shape or in good enough shape to actually sort of withstand the rigors of it. And if anyone has been struggling with arm pump but didn't want to do anything about it, they're about to get found out, I think. 
I'm expecting more from the Suzuki's as well. I think the 2021 configuration of the GSXR has proved to be quicker. Um, you know, I think it will, as we saw in LaSalle, I think, you know, it's a motorcycle that lends itself well to fast flowing corners. Uh, so, and I think Joanne Mir maybe is getting a little bit of a, uh, I don't want to say excited, but maybe a little bit more invigorated after, you know, missing out on some points in Le Mans. Uh, I think you'll want to strike back in some some in a big way. But the big talking points of the weekend, guys, you completely missed. Is Alex Rins actually going to crash again? And what will what will Valentino's last dedicatory helmet livery be? I mean, I ca- I can't wait for free practice one. It's gonna it's gonna be three three. It's a, the, the helmet only comes out on Saturday. Oh, apologies, Dave, for the the bad timing. Well, you know, with it arguably perhaps being his last race, then uh, why not bust out early? Obviously enough as well, it, this is a weekend where someone like Rossi is going to be under a lot of pressure because there is that expectation when you turn up at Mugello and it's not an easy track. Like David was saying, whenever anything's going against you, it could be just confidence, it could be your health. Like, And I think that's where, for me, one of the big talking points is how does Mark deal with this weekend? Because his confidence has to have taken a hit. He's got his injuries as well. David, you mentioned that about just how physical Mugello is as well. For the arm pump issues, that was a concern. For Mark, it's obviously going to be a big concern again this week. Yeah, and it's a clockwise circuit, so there's a lot of weight on the on his uh, on the right hand side. There's a lot of right handers. Uh, the, the right side is where he's having all of the problems. Um, obviously, he should be a bit stronger. I saw a, a story today where he was um, riding a Honda 600 somewhere. So at least he's back on the track. That helps him build some of those muscles, some of that strength again. Um, and yeah, I mean, I I think. He, as you say, it's going to be interesting to see how he uh, copes with it uh, and to see if he can not crash, if he can try to not overcompensate on the right-hand side uh, or on the left-hand side, on the uh, on the side where he is strong. So, uh, yeah, but it's going to be a really tough challenge for him. Yeah, I mean, he was saying in uh, Le Mans that uh, the, the corners on that track that were causing him big problems were turn one. Uh, La Chapelle, I think, the downhill right, and turn eight, the garage fair. Um, you know, all sort of big, long right-hand corners. Um, and, you know, there are plenty of those in Mugello. Just think about the two Arabiatas. I mean, that is going to be pretty tough for him. Um, he said one of the things that obviously was, was catching him out back in Reth was that he was overcompensating in the left-hand corners because that's where he felt good and he was trying to make up um, too much time in those types of turns. So not only is it um, is it extremely uh, physical the Mugello track, but um, yeah, there's a lot of like long corners, Corontio as well, um, where you know it, it should be tough for Mark. But you know he is Mark, and um, he has had a further ten days to recover since uh, Le Mans. So let's see how it goes. But yeah, I think that's going to be one of the the very interesting things to look out for. Yeah, and obviously the left-hander um, name escapes me at the moment, but um, <clears throat> coming back down the hill before you're on the way to the um, uh, on the way to the two Arabiatas, it's notorious. It's downhill. You've, yeah, that's right, Savelli. Yeah, um, uh, you, you first go right down uh, down the hill, and then you sweep left. Uh, and it's a place where a lot of people crash. It's a, obviously a place where Mark is going to really push. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what he does and what he tries to do, and it's going to be a real place. If there's if there's a place where he's going to get caught out, it's going to be there. 
yeah, obviously enough, it's going to be interesting to see how it all fares up over the course of the weekend. From We're going to take a break on the Paddock Pass podcast, and when we come back, we'll hear what Neil's big talking point is from the weekend. And we'll also have an interview with Paulus Bagaro. Fly Racing introduces the new FL2 Glove. With molded hard knuckle protection, this race-inspired glove is equipped with palm and gauntlet sliders and touchscreen-compatible fingers. Available in three colors and sizes, from small to triple X, the Fly Racing FL2 Glove is the perfect answer at the perfect price. Check out flyracing.com to see more. Welcome back to the Panic Pass podcast presented by Fly Racing. Neil. Just uh, we've heard from myself and David and Adam about what we think is the big talking point coming into this weekend. What about for you? Um, well, a little bit of a, a left field choice here for this week, Steve. I'm, I'm quite excited to see um, just uh, a little more um, the uh, Inter Repsol Honda um, battle um, and how that's going to develop this uh, this weekend. I mean, will Paul Espargaro basically be able to carry some of the speed that he showed in uh, in France into this weekend? Um, because in France, you have to say that, uh, yes, eighth place in the race maybe wasn't uh, what he was expecting, what he was hoping for. But when you actually go back and look through Paul's performances through free practice, he was fourth, fourth, fifth and fourth. Um, always there and actually had pretty good speed and pretty good pace in the dry. Now we know that Le Mans is obviously one of his favourite tracks and um, you know that it's quite suited to the, the Honda's capabilities and we've talked previously um, about how Honda maybe hasn't had the best record in the last five years in Mugello, Davison just two podiums for Marquez in 16 and eight, uh, 19 um, no wins there um, so I think um, you know Paul's in a really interesting moment um, right now he's still trying to find his way he's still trying to find exactly his feet in this sort of system in which HRC operates um, we obviously have discussed on previous pods how um, it's quite different it's quite a sharp contrast how they work to KTM where basically all the information is pulled, all the riders and all the engineers discuss about the best way of collectively moving forward and that certainly hasn't been apparent in the Repsol Honda box since Mark Marquez came back this year. So uh, I think, yeah, that's something to certainly keep our eye on. Um, Paul's record in Mugello was pretty good when he was on the Yamaha, uh, scored a fifth place and a sixth place in 14 and 15. But, um, you know, had respectable showings there um, with KTM. He was ninth in 2019, which I think for KTM at that time was, was a decent showing. So um, I think it's uh, it's going to be quite interesting just to see um, how this develops further. Will he be ahead of the likes of Alex Marquez and Takanakagami? And with the, the struggles that the Mark is likely to encounter with the uh, with his physical condition, um, you know, maybe this is another opportunity for Paul to get one over his team in. Um, because that's obviously a, a nice little inter-team rivalry that's developing quite rapidly. Now, we've seen plenty of Paul's kind of media debriefs over the last couple of years. Um, and, you know, since he's joined Honda, you know, his dealings with the press have kind of ranged in emotion from excitement to encouragement to dismay to, you know, uh, frustration. <laughs> well, I was just wondering, you know, from your, t- I mean, I haven't interviewed him yet this year. I just, from your talk with him, uh, both on the record and off it, what was your kind of feeling about where he feels he is at the moment? I mean, he's going to say one thing, but then maybe he comes across in a different way. Uh, what was your kind of take? Is he, is he struggling? Uh, no, I, I 
got the impression that um, he isn't where he wants to be. He's maybe a little disappointed with how the season's gone so far. Um, but I think there was a, a sort of quiet uh, determination there, um, almost like an accepting of the situation. Uh, we saw how upset he was by the, the situation Uh in inverted commas, uh, after the Spanish Grand Prix at Jerez, obviously very upset at the fact that um, it, you know, he wasn't really getting much information from the other side of the garage on, on which way to go. Um, but I think by the time he got to Le Mans, he had, he had composed himself and calmed down, and it was almost like a, another thing to to kind of right. This is another obstacle that we have to overcome. Um, and if you listen to him after the race at Le Mans, he was um, I, I was kind of expecting him to be quite upset because you know. Had Mark not crashed, uh, you know, th three other Hondas would have finished ahead of Paul at one of his favorite tracks in wet conditions, which he normally excels in. Um, but he was uh, he was positive. He said, actually, this has been a really good weekend. Uh, we have to just look at the positives. He acknowledged himself that he has a tendency to look at the negatives too often and focus on them. But um, I think from what I've seen of Paul in Le Mans with the interview that we're about to hear and with um, his dealings on Sunday with the press after the race um, you know that there was a, there was an optimism that they had found something in the uh, in the dry that could bode well for the future Well let's roll the tape and hear what Paul has to say for himself We're four races into your, your Repsol Honda career um, are you where you expected to be at this moment or are you a little ahead a little behind how would you assess the start of your career with Repsol Honda? Yeah, well, I have not the expectations um, about the results or about what I was, uh, what I could imagine that it was coming or something like that. Sh surely I had not expectations of I'm going to jump on this bike and I'm going to go in straight away. But for sure, I was asking to myself a lot of things like, you know, I want, I want to, be, to be world champion with this bike. I want to win races with this bike one day and and uh, sure, if you ask me if this is a place, no, I expect, but the place I want to be, uh, for sure, I tell you, is not the place I want to be, 100%. Um, I want to be much closer to the top guys, uh, not at six, seven, eight seconds of the winning of the race as uh, we've been in the in the fair races. And uh, yeah, it's sure and it's clear that we need to improve. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Paul, I'm sure you've been asked this question many, many times, um, but what was the main reason to take on this challenge as Repsol Honda rider? Because we've seen Danny Pedrosa have difficulties in the past here, Jorge Lorenzo as well. I mean, it's obviously a, it's not the easiest bike to ride. We all know that, but you've taken on this challenge. What, why did you do that? Yeah, well, for the Spaniards to 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 come to Repsol Honda, it's, it's like a dream. I mean, uh, the best Spanish riders in the in the history has been in this team, has grown in this team and have taken world championships and and victories in this team. So for the Spaniard to be in Repsolonda is something super special. And also historically, um, to be a Repsolonda rider it means that you are a top rider. Um, sure, in the past days, Honda has been not an amazingly successful, apart from that from Mark, but. Uh, you know, um, inside of everyone, inside of every rider, you think you can be as fast as 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 the top guys. And you know why is what I'm trying. You know, I want to be world champion, and uh, to be in this team, it's something that it's like you rise your level, you rise your image, and um, is something that makes you feel very good. And um, hopefully, I can reach my dreams here in in Repsolonda. 
Absolutely. Um, can you tell us a little bit about um, maybe the area of your riding style you've had to change um, coming from KTM? Because we were always told that the KTM and the Honda were quite similar bikes, yet in Qatar at the first test, you said actually, yeah, there was there was quite a lot of differences. I mean, how is your riding a little different now? Yeah, I mean, in the in the differences of riding style, it's not so different. Sure, the bike is different in many in many places, but in in about driving riding style, like um, place of brake or how you need to brake or how you need to pick up the bike or how you need to accelerate, this is very very similar. So in the riding style, maybe at the moment I'm just trying to keep changing my position on the bike, but the riding style still keeps keeps the same. It's very very similar, and I the good point is that I the way I enjoy riding the bike is the way that this bike needs to be right. And sometimes when I feel fast and when I'm fast, I really enjoy riding the bike. And the good point is that I don't need to change many things to do it. Um, but uh, surely that um, the way of doing with the Honda is different because the bike is different starting from the weight position of the bike. And this is something that I need to work on. Yeah, absolutely, Paul. Um, ever since you've been a MotoGP rider, you've talked about how you want the bike that you can be very aggressive with, super aggressive with. I mean, does this kind of come from um, the bikes that you rode when you were a child? Uh, does it come from your personality, do you think, the way you train? I mean, what, what is it that makes you this kind of way as a rider where you like to be super aggressive? Well, uh, this is uh, whew, it's difficult to answer because I don't know why, but since I was a child, uh, I was doing, for example, uh, a promo cup uh, that uh, it was made for childs that it, it calls Conti. Um, it was one uh, small bike. Uh, sure, you know this one, the other one, the Metra Kit. It's a kind of Metra Kit bike, but it's uh, the first one that uh, it's the first prototype of this kind of bikes. Small one for the kartings, small road bike for the kartings. And I was riding this bike completely sideways. I was not touching with the knee on the ground. All the kids were touching with the knee on the ground. I was the only one. I was not doing it, and I was just sideways. Entering sideways, I started with the enduro. Then I passed to supermotor before to go to road bikes. And then they were, someone were calling me McCoy in that time because McCoy was always sideways, and I like it to be sideways as him. I, I love it, this riding style. And, and uh, it was wild since I, I was a child in the smaller categories. Then in 1 to 5 also, I was riding... Uh, wilder than the others and i don't know why this comes you know riding by physically and um, sometimes less technically it helps you a lot when technically it's not coming because you have a bad day or the track is not fitting to you then you can put your input on physically uh you know to force the bike to do something that maybe you cannot do by technically or it's not coming uh, by technically and and i i've been using this quite a lot and for sure on the race on the races to be so out of the bike and so aggressive you paid with your fitness but it's something that has been helping me so long paul you've obviously had quite a, a variation of experience in model gp you've gone from a, a satellite team to a european factory team now you're in a japanese uh, factory team can you talk a little bit about the kind of cultural differences that you've experienced in each one and, and how they they differ from each other yeah the difference is huge in uh in the way of working, it's very different. The cultures uh, marks quite a lot the standards of working of uh, different factories, and um, especially Japanese people. It's uh, people 
I think it's a, I, I, I've been doing quite a lot of loops on the wall uh, in different places, but the Japanese people, I think it's the most distance people from our culture than the, than to the European one. You know, the standards of the way of doing things is much different. They base, they work a lot on the safety. And sometimes this takes them a little bit longer time than, for example, the Europeans. It's not that the Europeans doesn't look at the safety, but uh, in the Japan, it's quite extreme. You know, I've been uh, talking quite a lot with some uh, high staff from Honda, and they we were discussing these kind of topics, you know, and, and he was saying to me that in compared to European bikes, um, they have 100% sure that with uh, any kind of Honda, you can crash, and after crash, whatever crash, take the bike and continue. You know, and this is something that the European bikes for sure many of them cannot do because for them, the safety is so important. And it sounds uh, a small thing, just the safety, but at the end is the safety is what it takes more time for everything. You know, um, when they need to bring a new a new part in the competition, um, if you care so much from the safety point, um, it takes very, very long time to, to use it for the competition. But at the end, for them, it's very important that the riders don't get hurt. And, and this is something we, the rider, really appreciate because sometimes the rush of the competitions makes you or makes the factory do um, new stuff that they had not time to, to test enough. And then something crazy can happen. So for that, it's something, it's something that we, the riders, appreciate so much. Um, obviously, um, last year, you had a, a fantastic season in the end with KTM. But there was a point at the start of last season where KTM was having a, a sensational time. Honda was having its most difficult season in, uh, well, ever, I think, in, in MotoGP class. Um, at that moment, it must have been quite difficult to maintain your focus, thinking, okay, next year I'm going to leave this place where the bike is already so good. I mean, can you tell us a little bit about that, the first few races of 2020 when you had made your decision, yet it, it looked as though, wow, Honda could be a difficult place to go well at the end uh, you know um i was enjoying so much the moment that i was not thinking on the future because uh, after four years of suffering blood and swear uh, in ktm uh, to try to get the results um finally get the results uh, almost every single weekend i was really enjoying the situation and i was not thinking so much about the future and also I was thinking two things, you know, the first one is that if I was able, I, I, I've been able to bring one bike out with the help for sure of KTM and all the crew and all my teammates, but to develop a bike from zero, completely zero, from the last degree to the top of the, of the grid with KTM, um, whatever happened to Honda, I could, do, I could do this as well, you know, just with uh, hard work and, and, uh, and blood and sweat, I could do it too. And, and then another point is that when, you know, it's a thing that I always think about. Um, you cannot be frustrated for your decisions because at the moment you take the decisions, it, when you take a decision, in that moment, in the moment you take the decision is because you think it's the correct one. It's the proper one. It's the one that is going to help for your sports career. If it's not, you would not take it. So to things in past that maybe I did a mistake, this is very silly because... Um, yeah, in that moment, it was the right choice. Or for me, I think it was the right choice. That's why I choose it. I choose that. And once it's, the decision is taken, 
you need to look forward, not back. And this is what I'm doing. Yeah, that's a, a wise philosophy for sure. Um, Paul, I have to ask you about um, about Perez and you know what you said on on Sunday um, because you talked a little about how each Honda rider is is working in, in maybe separate directions. Um, were you? I mean, you were obviously quite frustrated. Was this frustration just because you you had imagined that it would be slightly different, perhaps the, the way of working within Honda? Um, well, I mean, uh, the way of working in the other places I've been, it's been much different. It doesn't mean it's better or it's work. It's worse. It's different. So because I've been uh, working in a different system of working, um, I think the other system is the one it works, but it should not be like that, you know, because uh, sometimes we close our mind like saying that what we have been using or doing in the past years is the correct one. But... For sure, Honda is a different manufacturer. It's it's Honda is huge, and if someone someone have the power to make different lines of working, is Honda. The power and the strength that Honda have is unbelievable, and this allows Honda to 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 have some different working lines. Sometimes this get the things complicated, but sometimes when everything is good, um, you have a lot of solutions um, to use. So. At the end, it's just different works, ways of working, and uh, I need to get used to this, just this. Does it add to your motivation in some way that, you know, you, that it's you, yourself, you know, and you don't have that option of, of checking the other guys, seeing what they're doing? I mean, is that extra motivation to you to make this work? Yeah, at the end, it's an extra motivation, but also it, it, for me, as a, if I would have some experience, I would say, okay, I don't care, you know, because I know what I'm doing and I know which is the pack it works and okay, maybe this pack works better here, but maybe next race is going to be worse. But the problem I have now is that I do not control the situation as I was controlling in the past in other bikes. So this way of working at the moment for me, it makes me feel a little bit more um, um, un unsafe because uh, when I check the data, I cannot compare to the other guys as I was doing in the past with different, with, uh, yeah, with different way of working. So everything is a little bit difficult with this uh, way of working, especially for the, the guys, the newcomers on, on, on this manufacturer and the rookies. So I think this is just a matter of time. Um, after some several uh, races, I will understand a little bit more this bike, which are the strong and the weak points of this bike in the very uh, advanced way. And then it's going to be much easier for me to check to another guy, even if the other guy is using different stuff than me, to check uh, which are the difference and how I can improve. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just two more questions, Paul. Um, firstly, um, I remember speaking to you um, that uh, I think it was in 2018, you said that it was one of your aims to always be on the same bike or to be on the same bike as Mark and to measure yeah. yourself against him. Yeah. I mean, we've only had two races where you've raced together, but what have you been able to understand so far about him and what has made him so successful with this bike, this package? In Jerez, I couldn't, I couldn't not compare so much during the sessions, yes. I mean, in Portimao, for sure, I could, but on the race, I couldn't finish. So still, I didn't have the, that moment to, you know, to, to be exactly the same as him and then comparing the, the two packages. But on the practices, what I could do is that um, Mark is breaking very, very late, um, very, very, very late. And 
he's confident on the front wheel it's uh it's massive i think this comes for sure with time but his um his feelings on the front wheel he's able to understand to the very very limit uh where is the front wheel not just inside the corner where he's saving it also when the bike is straight com- um controlling the 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 lockings and and for sure which is the the most um performing way of stopping the bike with some angle on the stopping or just completely straight or which level of engine brake or how much force on the front brake which calipers he's using which uh, disc he's using to to make it you know there is many many small strategies on his uh, way of braking that make him uh, strong and uh, still i'm just trying to understand a little bit more but it's quite interesting welcome back to the paddock pass podcast some really good insight there from neil and from paul during the course of that interview and i'm quite keen as well neil after that just to see how Paul gets on this weekend. Like you mentioned that how strong he was in free practice at Le Mans. It is one of his best tracks, like you said. Mugello is a very different challenge. David, you've already mentioned about how difficult Honda have found Mugello in the past. And, uh, you know, Paul needs a good result. Uh, yeah, I mean, Paul needs a good result. But, I mean, like, it's not that Honda is bad at Mugello. It's just that Ducati and Yamaha, Yamaha have always been better. We've seen Danny Pedrosa have a couple of fourth places. Uh, Cal Crutchlow has been sixth. Takanaka Gami in 2019 was fifth. Um, they're, they're not that far off. It's just that they've sort of struggled to actually get on the uh, get on the podium. So it's not as if it's going to be impossible for Paul. And if Paul just feels comfortable and good in himself, strong in himself, um, uh, then there's no reason why he can't uh, sort of surprise uh, a few people. It's just that. Uh, I think this track is much more cut out for the Yamahas and for the Ducatis. Well, who's doing the winning this weekend, boys? Adam, who are you going to put your money on? I'm tempted to say Miller again, but, you know, looking at his record at Mugello, it's, it's frankly terrible. I mean, since 2015, I, he's only finished one Grand Prix and that was in 15th place. Uh, it's not exactly uh, prime, you know, uh, Mugello form. So I think I'm going to have to go for his teammate on this occasion. Uh, we've seen some spectacular Ducati victories. Of course, uh, Andrea De Vizioso, um, you know, having the shits in the morning and not being so shit in the race. Uh, to take victory, Jorge Lorenzo against all expectation, having that quite emotional success, and then Danilo Producci as well. That was that was arguably one of the highlights of the 2019 MotoGP season. So I think uh, now's the time for Peko to inherit the earth. Well, I'll tell you what, the meek should inherit the earth. And uh, Neil, you're not usually too meek about your predictions. Who's, who's going to be? Uh, you know what, Steve? Um, I am inclined to say Peko, but Adam's already gone there. Um, I think Miller will be it. I'm going to be last and all the Ducati riders are going to be gone. Well, Zarco, Zarco, there you go. I think, um, I think, you know, Miller actually was up fighting for the, fighting for the win in 2019 uh, before he crashed out towards the end. Um, so, you know, he was, he was pretty strong on that occasion, but I think, I think just with the state that the Yamaha is in this year, if it's dry, I think it's going to be one of the, I think it's going to be Vinales, um, which might be a bold claim. I mean, Vinales was really impressive in, in Le Mans before the rain arrived. Okay, it was only, you know, for two laps, but he did start brilliantly. He did look super aggressive in that first lap. And um, he's, yeah, I think maybe Vinales could could be all right. I, th- I could foresee a little bit of a Qatar thing happening where Yamaha's get a bit swamped going into turn one, but Cordero and Vinales just show that they're able to kind of 
gradually pick people off as the race goes on. Um, so, yeah, I might be made to look very foolish on Sunday um, with that one. But, yeah, Maverick is, is who I'm going for. Yeah, Maverick, of course, just became a dad as well. So maybe that's going to be a little bit more motivation for him this weekend. But I, I tell you what, the long run down to turn one that's going to be very difficult for him to be able to keep himself in a decent position as well. So I, I don't think I'd have too much confidence putting my money down on Maverick. Neil. Yeah, no, I would, I would say Quadraro, but it's you know he's not had a he's not had a great time of it at, at uh, Mugello recently. But you know he is in he is in superb form, and he did show in France that he can adapt to situations in which he has not been uh, too fast in the past. So um, yeah, he could be another one. But I'll, I'll just I'll stick with Finales, Yeah. Now you're also forgetting that the Grand Prix starts on lap one, not on lap eleven. So you know, you know, that could be. It's not doesn't bode well for Maverick. What about you, David? Who's who's it going to be? Well, if Neil's going to go, not going to go for Fabio Quartararo, then I'm going to go for Fabio Quartararo. Even though, um, I mean, like, if I had to put money on it, I'd say that Jack Miller is the man to beat. But I, but I think Fabio Quartararo is going to beat him. Um, I think that Jack Miller has got everything going for him right now. Uh, but Quartararo is really on a roll. He's got everything together. He understands the Yamaha. He knows how to make the best out of it. Um, the other thing that we've noticed, I mean, we're, we're talking about the starts and the poor starts which Maverick Vinales has made and Fabio. Quartararo, but both of them have had no problem whatsoever in making up lost ground, even when they've had poor starts. Um, that I think is a big, big difference from from previous years, where uh, you know you'll see them drop down to maybe ninth or whatever at the in the first couple of corners, but then by the end of lap two, they're back up to sort of third and fourth, and so uh, they seem to be able to pass. They obviously they don't have the speed of the uh, Ducatis, so that means. Uh, having to slipstream that uh, they can do that um th- the bike has the speed now to at least stay with the ducatis down the um uh, down the front uh and it has the the drive out of the corners to actually to actually sort of get away and i think if Quattararo or Vinales can get away from the Ducatis, then it's game over. Um, and I think that fabio is in the right place is in the right mental place um uh to win I could, I mean, it's a bit of a cop out, but I could, I could see a Yamaha one two. I could see a Ducati one two. Um, but I think uh, putting it all together, I think that Fabio Quartararo is is in the right place to actually win this. Mm-hmm. Well, I have to say now that there is an actual opportunity for me to say a Ducati rider, it's quite good. Then I'll, I'll go with. You know what? I, I think it could be Zarco this week because he's knocking on the door as it is, but it's so difficult for a rider to actually get across that line and pick up that first win that you never really have that much confidence in actually putting your money on the table and saying, that's who I'm going to be going with. So Jack Miller's got his run of form. He's at home. Well, a home race for the team. And uh, I think, you know, like like Neil said, Jack's actually had decent, decent races at Mugello, even if the results haven't quite been there. So I think he's probably... I think he's in line to be able to deal with the pressure, but it is very difficult to win three in a row in MotoGP. So that also factors against you. But I'll go definitely go with a Ducati rider to pick up a win. So I'll put my money down on Jack as it is right now. Considering you're the only one who actually actually puts money on these things, now I'm surprised you're going for the favourite. I mean, that's going to win you like 50p, isn't it? Do you know what? That's how you don't go broke gambling, Ad. You always bet You always bet on the ones that, are, that give you a bit of a return. And... Uh, the superbikes didn't go too badly for me last weekend, so I've got a little bit of little bit of house money to play with, so I can be a bit aggressive with some of my bets. But actually, a lot of the time, whenever you're trying to look at MotoGP, 
don't look just for the outright results. Look for podiums. Look for leaders on first laps. Coincidentally, Ducati, they're pretty damn good for that bet. And uh, a few things like that. So the markets aren't always just for the outright winner. Um, you mentioned it there, Steve. Three uh, three races in a row. One was, well, I presume it was Mark Marquez was the last rider to win uh, uh, three in a row. Um, uh, I'm looking at you, Neil, because you should be able to cough this sort of statistic up um, in your sleep. Uh, yes, it was, David, um, because we didn't have uh, a rider that won three races in a row last year. So, yes, we were going back to uh, 2019 when Mark had five in a row from Mizano to Phillip Island. Yeah, you're, go- you're going back to when Mark won five in a row, Neil. Quite a run of form. Um, uh, Jack Miller, five in a row? No. Goodness me. No one's winning five in a row in MotoGP at the minute, Dave. It's far too competitive. But the good thing is, at least we're going to get some answers once we get the action underway this week. It's actually quite a busy time for us on the Paddock Pass podcast as well. Obviously, we've got today's show for looking ahead to the Magello Grand Prix. We've also got a World Superbike review with myself and Gordo from the Aragon round. And then we're straight into another World Superbike weekend as well. So with another uh, a double header of MotoGP and World SBK action. So that'll also be a double header of podcast next week. And then also the Moto2 and Moto3 show next week as well. So certainly a whole host of Paddock Pass podcasts coming your way pretty soon. And if that isn't enough for you, you can also go to patreon.com forward slash Paddock Pass podcast, where over a Grand Prix weekend, we make sure that we offer the Paddock Notes show as well, which is getting you all the information from inside the paddock, literally just as the debriefs finish, we sit down and record a show so you can get as up to date as possible in round about 15 minutes of uh, of a Patreon special show. So go to patreon.com forward slash Paddock Pass podcast to sign up for that. And until next week, from myself, Steve English, David Emmett, Neil Morrison and Adam Wheeler, a big thank you to everyone for listening to today's show. This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast was produced by Jensen Beeler, David Emmett, Steve English, Neil Morrison and Adam Wheeler. It was edited by Brian Burnett. Music is provided by the Libertines. All inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com. Is it Espargaro or Espargaro? Espargaro. 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 Hopefully, hopefully it's a while before they issues in superbikes. We're also going to have an interview with Paul Espargaro. With Paul Espargaro. Oh, how the fuck is that so difficult for me to say still at this stage? I don't understand it. Paul Espargaro. Espargaro. Paul Espargaro. Just say Espargaro and you'll be fine. Yeah. Asparagus will be fine. Paul Espargaro. Oh, fucking hell. This is this is doing me head Just in there, lads. Put, put the emphasis on the S, Steve. Espargaro. Espargaro. There you go. Espargaro. Okay. Paul Espargaro. Espargaro.